When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Football Social Daily. The Euro Special. Hello, hello, hello. It's Friday, it's the end of the week and congratulations, you've successfully survived your first non-football day of the European Championships. No 2pm, no 5pm or even an 8pm kickoff last night left us all with a little bit of an empty feeling. But never fear, the Euros are back on track this weekend with the round of 16. And here at the Football Social Daily, we, as always, have got you covered. In part one, we look ahead to tomorrow's games. Wales get the knockout stages kicked off in Amsterdam as they take on Denmark. And Group A winners Italy have been rewarded with a Wembley showdown up against Austria. Part two, that's a look over at Sunday's matches and it's the informed Netherlands who are paired against the Czech Republic and then the heavyweight showdown, the world's number one against the defending European champions, Belgium take on Portugal. And then to wrap it all up in part three, we browse over the latest transfer rumours right back here in the Premier League with the latest on the futures of England pair, Harry Kane and Jack Grealish. Right then, I'm Fergal Brennan and I will be pushing the buttons today. Joining me, we have our very own Marley Anderson. Marley, how are you doing? Good morning, guys. Yes, not too bad. Uh, just about survived the last couple of days without any football to distract me at two o'clock every day. Watching, uh, you know, Ukraine against North Macedonia or whatever it was and pretending I was interested in it to uh, to try and stop doing some work. You say that like it's a bad thing. I mean, as distractions go, that's that's a pretty good one. Yeah, although I did watch, uh, I have watched a couple of absolute stinkers at two o'clock, which haven't really, uh, haven't really helped. So yeah, can't can't complain. Fair enough. Uh, and also we have Boyle Sports, Leon Blanche. Leon, uh, in terms of withdrawal symptoms, are you doing okay? Yeah, I am, Fergal. Do you know something that's been nice to actually have yesterday off and today off from um, football? Because I think then you wanted a bit more come tomorrow. And now we're into the real business end of the tournament. No second chances if you mess up, you're out. And that's what I like. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to the last 16. 
Yeah, absolutely no hiding place. It's do or die in the last 16, and that's where we're going to get ourselves kicked off. Mali, Wales get the last 16 up and running tomorrow. They're up against Denmark in Amsterdam. Um, aside from what's going on on the pitch, there's been some breaking news in the last 24, 48 hours surrounding fans. The Dutch government have said that Danish fans can travel to Amsterdam on a 12-hour passport. Basically, it means that they're allowed into the city to mill around for a few hours. They can watch the game if they have a ticket, provided they're on a plane out of there that night or first thing in the morning. We've seen some very strange and very bizarre decisions surrounding UEFA and football governance and COVID. But given the fact that Wales are not being given the same privilege going in the opposite direction, this is a new ridiculous low for uh, for UEFA. Yeah, it's, a, it's another one that sort of doesn't it doesn't do anything to discount the sort of the the thing around covid that it's one rule for some and one rule for another because you know it comes off the back of as well UEFA saying that you know um nobody can be there for the final uh with you know the VIP thing you know you're allowed yeah. to be there if you if you you wait for VIP as if like you know Ruud van Nistelrooy can't bring in covid or whatever whoever their VIPs are so that's it's all rubbish um in that case but i mean it's at least it's nice to have fans you know to to allow the um the danish fans to to be in amsterdam for for 12 hours but it does it is kind of unfair when it's a knockout game and you know you're not allowing the welsh but i think that's uh, it's more just a reflection of how people see the uk as as dealing with the covid variant i mean everyone's talking about the third um you know the is it called the uh the indian variant or whatever it was called and everyone's kind of worried about that and that's kind of sort of i think like europe's looking at england and going well in the uk and saying well you know why would we take those risks so it's it's kind of understandable but again for wales it's another rough draw because they've had uh all the group games in baku i think you know, 500 fans or something they had, uh, fair play to them, had to fork out God knows how much money to go and support the team in in the Euros. And then they're coming back and they can, all Wales fans can realistically get to Amsterdam. It's not far, it's not that expensive. Um, and then UEFA is saying this, well, all the, all the Danish lads are welcome, but you, you kind of aren't. So it is a bit of a bummer, but it's it's just one of them things, I think we can't really help it we can't really you know there's been countless weird decisions made over covid in the last couple of years that this one doesn't even scratch the top 10 to be honest uh, on the pitch leon wales will be looking for another impressive performance in the knockout stages going back five years ago they beat northern ireland in the last 16 and then obviously that memorable night putting out belgium fantastic goal from from hal robson carnu to put them into the semi-finals and, and face portugal they're bidding to do that again this time round. Um, what have you made of them in the group stages? In terms of performance, you'd probably say solid, probably not really that much in terms of spectacular. There's been one or two little flashes, but four points was enough to get them out of the group. The The big performance, the big positive was the win against Turkey. But on the other hand, Turkey didn't pick up a point in the group. And famous last words, the, the dark, ha- dark horse shout for them didn't really ring true. So, it's difficult to get a handle on way, where Wales are going into the last 16, but there doesn't seem to be the same verve around them as there was in Euro 2016. No, there doesn't, and I think that's fair. I think they were quite lucky against Switzerland to pick up a point. Um, they didn't do enough in that game even to get a share of the spoils. 
They put in a good performance, as you said, against Turkey. And they couldn't beat or even get a point against a second-string Italian side who made eight changes. So they've made it through to the last 16. There's not as much buzz about them, but maybe that will suit them. Um, I think Ward has been exceptional in goal. I think he's right up there with the top amount of saves in the competition so far. I think they're going to need him to have another big, big game. But when you've got Bale and when you've got Ramsey, on their day, I still believe they possess two world-class players. And we saw in the group stages how both of these guys can link up with each other. They seem to know exactly where they're going to run, who's going to go in behind, who's going to drop deep. And it just gives you a big chance because in the knockout games, I do believe everything becomes that little bit tighter. The tempo does go up a notch, but I think the cream always rises to the top. And Wales have got a big chance here. Um, We all know what happened to Christian Eriksen. If he had been playing, I probably would have sided with Denmark because I also feel he is a world-class player. But minus him, it does give the Welsh a chance. And Bale and Ramsey, they just have that X factor and they can do something extraordinary. And that's what you need when you go into knockout football. You just need that class act to take a chance when it's given. Denmark, they did the business when they had to. Um, I think the whole footballing nation, the whole footballing world wished Denmark would get into the knockout stages because of that terrible incident that happened in the first game. So it's good that Denmark are in the last 16. UEFA have given them an unfair advantage, allowing their fans to be in the stadium. But you know what? I think that's perfect for Wales. Wales are a real team that come together. They're very proud men, um, and that will be a catalyst for them. And I just feel the decision from UEFA, the keeper, Ramsey and Bale, they could be the deciding factors to just get them over the line. But I think it will be a very, very close game. Marley, in terms of Bale and Ramsey, we talk about Wales and we do inevitably all talk about them. It's been quite interesting listening to Ashley Williams and, and his coverage of the Euros with um, with the BBC so far. And he pretty much admitted that in Euro 2016, the plan was keep it nice and tight, keep it nice and solid. And when you can, get the ball to one of them two and they'll make something happen. And five years on, the plan probably hasn't really changed an awful lot. And on the one hand, you look at this and say, big chances that have fallen to Bale and the penalty miss, he's not managed to stick it in the back of the net. But the one moment of quality that you can point to from them in the group stages was that bail pass, Ramsey's run, and the goal against Turkey. And as Leon said, knockout stages, everything is so tight. One goal can normally decide these games. They only need one moment. But on the other hand, there's only one example across three games of football to point to. Uh, yeah, it's probably a bit harsh. Um considering if you look at how Bale, you've got, you got to look at how Wales sort of play and you know everything positive goes through Bale whether it comes off or not really um, you know the free kicks and the set pieces are, are um, usually delivered by him and that's where they're a bit of a threat and from from open play if you give him too much space you know everyone knows he can he can still hurt you I think he scored loads of goals for, for Spurs last season in, in a, a season where he didn't really get started for for 
a long time because of his on-off injuries. I think he got 16 goals in the end in, in all competitions. But it's um, it's uh, it's just one of them where they've got to keep him quiet. I mean, look at what happened in the um, in the in the last group game when they were taking it into the corner and and I think it was was it Turkey who were like, oh, they they're just gonna keep it in the corner there. And then Bale just exploded out of it, and it was like set up Connor Roberts to make it two nil. And it was like that's what Bale does; he thinks outside the box. And if you pay too much attention to him, you're leaving Ramsey. And Wales will try and come up with a plan to free them because Denmark will obviously come up with a plan to to try and shackle them because everyone knows where Wales are good. And Bale's good enough on his day still to, uh, especially in a Wales shirt to still uh, come up with something that can that can inspire his team. So I, I I think this one's really even because I think realistically I think I think Wales have got the two best players on the pitch, but I think Denmark have got the better team in total. So it's a it's a strange one. It just depends who grabs grabs the game by the scruff of the neck really because there's a huge chance in, in this half of the draw to go at least to the semi finals. Um looking at the Denmark team, Leon, we've talked about Wales and the threat that they pose, particularly with Bale. And as Marley said, the Danish manager, Kasper Hulman, will have to come up with a plan on how to stop them two linking up and <clears throat> potentially running away with the game. And it could actually fall to Bale's Spurs teammate, Pierre Hoiberg, to be the man to stop him. He's He's been deployed in a man-marking role in a couple of group games so far with mixed success. He played quite well against Russia and was progressive with the ball. But Hulman has kind of hinted that he's going to put Hoiberg on Bale because he thinks that by stopping Bale that will stop the Ramsey runs in behind he doesn't think it goes the other way around if you cut off Bale you cut off Wales is that the case if Hoiberg can do a job on Bale that's the end of Wales Um, I don't know Um, I kind of agree what Marley says if you if you focus your attention just on Gareth Bale Aaron Ramsey can get behind. Aaron Ramsey can hit a pass. There's a reason why Juventus paid him exorbitant amount of money to move there in the first place. He's a class act. You've also got the likes of James, who's got bundles of pace. And if Joyberg marks Bale one-on-one, it will free up Aaron Ramsey. And I would imagine that Wales will deploy James in a position that Ramsey will look to find uh, James, because James has got electric pace. I'm not saying his final ball or his goal scored is as good as Gareth Bale, because it's just simply not. But I think if you say stop Gareth Bale, you stop Wales completely. I don't think that's quite fair. Um, and I just feel if Denmark are already coming out and saying this is what's going to happen, it shows you their fear. It shows you that they're actually quite worried about Wales, because they do have the best two players on the pitch in Ramsey and Bale. And I just have a feeling here with all that's kind of happened with the fan situation, that will galvanise these Welsh players. And I've no doubt in my mind, Gareth Bale steps up a notch when he pulls on his country's jersey. He always has done, and I think he always will do. There's certain players, when they pull on their nation's jersey, they just rise a level. And he's definitely won. You could say the same about Ramsey. It hasn't really worked for him at Juventus. But when he plays for his country, he goes up a level too. And I think in James, they've also got a lethal weapon that can cause this Danish back four plenty of problems. They don't have much pace 
at the back. And James could become that little lethal weapon if they uh, deploy a man-on-man job on Gareth Bale. Right, before we move on to Italy, let's let's call this. Marley, we'll go to you first. Is it going to be Wales back to Baku? Headline writers, you know, you can thank me for that later. Or <laughs> Denmark, uh, despite obviously the situation surrounding Ericsson, which has dominated them so far this tournament, who is going to be in the last eight in this one? Wales or Denmark? If, if I've got to pick one, I would uh, just about go for Denmark. Um, I think just over, over the pitch, they're a bit too strong. Um, and they'll they'll have a plan to to deal with Bale and Ramsey, and if if they don't, I still think they've got enough attacking wise to uh, to to go and uh, to go and get the goals to to beat them. Leon, would you agree? Denmark just about edging it, or are you backing Bale and the boys? No, I'm going with Wales. Um, they're four to one to win in ninety minutes, which is a huge price on how close this game is. But I'm going to go for Wales to qualify a little over two to one because I just feel I just feel they can get this job done um, Denmark are missing their best player and I just think Wales will get over the line OK split decision on that one Italy up next against Austria Leon we'll throw this one back to you to start off Italy have absolutely cruised through the group stage and during the prep for this show I keep having to double check this statistic because I can't quite believe this Italy have not conceded a goal in 11 games and obviously that includes the three group matches, 3-0 against Turkey and Switzerland, and then the 1-0 win against Wales. They've looked massively impressive. They've changed maybe pre-tournament perceptions of them of being a good side, but not amongst those considered to go on and win the tournament. Given where they are now going into the last 16, they have to be in the conversation with your Frances and your Belgians, etc. Yeah, look, there's no doubt about that. Um, I have to say... I've been hugely impressed with the tactics that Mancini has deployed. He's completely gone away from what we are accustomed to with Italian sides. They press, they work hard. When they go one up, they don't sit back. They want a second. When they go two up, they don't sit back. They want a third. And it's so refreshing to see. So I think they're unbeaten now in 30 matches which is absolutely a phenomenal run for any country at any time in international football. And the one thing about Italy as well, with those eight changes that were made um, in terms of the last group game against Wales, these guys are coming here fresh. They're facing an Austrian team that I think Italy will dismantle. I think they'll win with a clean sheet. But you've got to look at Italy in the context now of being one of maybe five or six sides who can win this tournament. And I say five or six sides because I still don't believe there's one standout team. I still believe in those top five or six on any given day, they can all beat each other. You're going to need a little bit of luck. You're going to need your big players to be on form. But in in, in Ciro Immobile, the Italians possess someone up front who might need a couple of chances to actually score. But what he gives you with the work rate and in Insignia, they've got just a little magician. They've got someone who can thread the ball through an eye of a needle. The Italians are well balanced. Their fullbacks like to get forward. You've already said it, they don't concede many goals. They're going to be a very difficult side to break down. The one note of caution I would put out there, however, is 
in Switzerland and Turkey in the first two games, they didn't face much. They didn't have to defend much. There will be tougher tasks ahead of the Italians once they get to the quarterfinals. And it's only really then when we will see, is this defence completely rock solid? Are the Italians the real deal who can go on and win this summer's competition? But so far, so good. They're coming into the knockout stages with a lot of confidence. They know they don't concede many and they're coming in fresh. And they are massive pluses for this Italian side. Um, Marley, looking at Austria, I, I would agree with uh, with Leon in Italy. I think the only danger is potentially themselves and that they might just be a tiny bit undercooked based on the, the level that they're facing in the groups. Austria, you probably look at the situation and say maybe this is their level, last 16. They were good in the first game in the group stages, but then found it really tough going against the Netherlands. Fair play to them, they got enough against the Ukraine to, to get the win and get through. But... When they've been tested, i.e. against the Netherlands and, and in patches against Ukraine, they haven't really shown enough. And you'd probably say, based on what we've seen from them, last 16 is, is probably a fair end result for them. Yeah, I, I'd agree. I think Austria have done, have achieved what they, what they came to do, really. Um, I don't think Austria are coming here saying, you know what, if we get a good draw, we could go all the way and get to the semis or, or the final or even win this thing because they've got no real sort of quality that you'd be scared of um, and that's what I think I think Italy are comfortable favourites tonight for that reason I think if you're looking at who can score goals and who can score you know who can trouble you if from an Austrian perspective if you're looking at them as, as the Italians and saying who are we scared of you know are you, re- are you really scared of Marco Arnautovic who's, who's 34 can self-destruct if you wind him up um, and you know it's, it's just not he's not the level you would you would look at and go Christ we've got to be on our game to beat him um, similar you know like how we were just talking about Denmark and and Shacklin Bale and Ramsey you know it's not the same for, for Austria I don't think with with Arnautovic up front and you know the likes of Alaba is a great player but he doesn't play in a position where you'd you'd be scared of him you know in a, in a back three as he's been playing most of this tournament so yeah um struggling to make a case for Austria to be honest but I don't think they'll be that disappointed in going out in the last 16 um, mainly because they're not one of the eight best sides in Europe are they they're, they're sort of uh, middle middle ground you'd expect them to maybe finish in the in the last 16 when when the tournaments come around if they get a good draw and that's what they'd have this season uh, this year and they've uh, they've gone as far as they can go for me so I, I can't see them getting close to Italy at all Marley's going for an Italy win. I'm assuming uh, Wembley on Saturday night. Leon, you're going to go for a, an Italy victory and push them on into the last eight? Yeah, absolutely. I think Italy to win to nil. Um, I just don't see the Austrians offering up much to trouble this Italian defence. You're putting Austria in the same type of bracket as Switzerland, maybe a little bit ahead of Turkey, but not much more than that. This will be a comfortable last 16 win for the Italians and just sets them up nicely for the quarterfinals when then it really starts to heat up. Great stuff. And in the spirit of a little bit of agreement, we're going to take a quick break. In part two, it's the Netherlands up against the Czech Republic and Belgium against Portugal. We'll be back in just a second. 
Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Euro 2020 podcast. On today's show, we're previewing the first round of games in the last 16. We've already talked about Wales and Denmark and Italy up against Austria at Wembley on Saturday night. Next up, Netherlands against the Czech Republic. Mali... The Netherlands have impressed in the group stages, 3-for-3. Three three. They're one of only three teams to have won all of their games so far this tournament. But we've talked about it on previous podcasts that they're not really in the conversation to win it because there's still a bit of a nagging doubt about them defensively and whether they can get just torn to bits on the counter-attack. But they are the top scorers in the tournament so far. Genie Wijnaldum, Memphis Depay have been excellent. But that defence is still an issue, despite the fact that in the last two games after... Matthias De Ligt has come back into the team they haven't conceded a goal yeah um, it's weird how they're, they're sort of talked about because they've done nothing wrong but nobody's really seen anything from them that, that makes them really scared and you know I talked before about Wales and Denmark having the chance to go through that half of the draw quite comfortably um, and it's not that scary the only, the other scary beast in it is, is Holland so you know, if you're Holland, you're also thinking, well, who else is in this half of the draw? And it's no one until the semis where they could possibly face England or Germany or whoever wins next uh, next Tuesday. So it is it is opening up. Um, and you're looking at, at Holland and going, can you take this chance? Because are you really going to get this chance again? Like, you know, the the opposition you're playing in the last 16 isn't the strongest. So can you can you grab this, this chance now? Because... Attacking wise, the fine. I think you know Depay's quality player. Wijnaldum, for me, is one of the been been one of the most underrated players in the Premier League for the last ten years. I think he's absolutely brilliant. Um, and then they've got enough talent across the pitch to to do something if they click. So we'll have to see uh, see if they can sort of grasp this chance that they're presented with. Marley makes a good case in terms of the Netherlands, Leon, that the biggest enemy to the Netherlands could in fact be themselves in, in the in the knockout stages as they look to push on. And based on history, that's one of the other reasons that maybe we're not fully on board with the Netherlands being right up there with the favourites because, generally speaking, when it's really come to the crunch, quarterfinals, semifinals, even finals, they've tended to crack under that, that real, real extreme pressure. And that hasn't gone away. If anything, it's probably strengthened on the back of them not qualifying for Euro 2016. Despite the best efforts of Memphis and, and Wijnaldum and, and other players in the team, there is still this voice in the back of your head that's saying, yeah, but it's the Dutch. They always cock it up. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, they've, they've had some horrid times since winning the Euros all the way back in 1988. But I do feel there's a huge togetherness right now um, in the camp. I think, look, I thought before the start of the tournament, without Virgil van Dijk, they weren't going to go too far. I felt they were going to get out of the group. But the draw has been extremely kind to them. There's no doubt they're in the far easier side um, in terms of the eight sides that are in their half in terms of this last 16 but in Depay and in Wijnaldum, and I totally agree with Marley, I mean, I'm a Liverpool fan and it absolutely astounded me how that football club could let Genie Wijnaldum go. Um, he only signed one contract for five years when they got him from Newcastle for, I think it was 25 million quid, absolutely peanuts. The man is never injured. He plays nearly every single game. I think last season he was omitted from one squad and that was a League Cup game. So it goes to show you how much Jurgen Klopp trusted 
and dependent um, was actually dependent upon him so how Liverpool have let him go for free is just beyond me but that is only going to be PSG's gain but he plays a little bit further forward for the Dutch he seems to revel in that role him and Depay have got a really good chemistry between them De Ligt has come back in at the back Van Dijk is with the squad even though he's not playing I'm sure his influence is a massive thing for this Dutch team because Virgil van Dijk is a born leader. De Boer, I still have question marks about. He nearly threw away that first game against the Ukraine when they were 2-0 up. He took off two defenders. Ukraine got it back to 2-2 and the Dutch needed a late winner. So I still question their manager. But the one thing I don't question this time around is we're not going to hear of any bust-ups. We're not going to hear of any disagreements within the camp. There seems to be plenty of harmony. And they're going to look at the chance right now of at least getting to a semi-final. And I think they will get to a semi-final because they're going to play the winners of Wales and Denmark. And I've already said I think Wales will get through. So I fancy the Dutch to knock Wales out. I also fancy the Dutch to beat the Czech Republic. The Czechs are not that good. We saw them against England. They were so lacklustre. They had a couple of kind of half chances maybe in that first half. But England totally dominated them inside the first half an hour. They could have been two or three up. They probably should have been. Game over. I think the Dutch will look at this particular match, come out firing, get a couple of early goals. And I don't see the Dutch failing in the last 16 or even the quarterfinals. I think they will be in the semi-finals of this summer's competition. And when you've got Wijnaldum who's scoring goals, when you've got Depay who's scoring goals and creating goals, remember he's just moved to Barcelona. So his confidence has got to be sky high. Wijnaldum, totally underrated. The Dutch are a serious dark horse in this competition now. And if they get to the semi-final, they've as much a chance as anyone else of winning this competition. Marley, looking at the Czechs, as Leon said, in terms of the England game, they, they could have been out of sight inside the first 20 or 30 minutes. And the numbers are not kind to them after the, the Scotland win. Just one shot on target against Croatia, which was the penalty that Patrick Stick stuck in. One shot on target against England. Two across two games. Doesn't exactly make for fantastic reading going into the last 16. But based on the best third place situation that we have now that win against Scotland was the you know the petrol to get them into the last 16 up against the Netherlands who look bang in form lots of confidence it's very difficult to make any sort of a case for them yeah it is um you know if only they could play Scotland every game <laughs> because it hasn't quite worked out like that um you know the 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 sort of they're not a bad side but they're not they don't have a sort of spark um, you know, yeah. Schick's, Schick's a decent striker. They're He'll a finish chances. Forward kind of team. Yeah, and if you look at if you look at Sufal and Suchek, who we see every week, they're good players, but they're not sort of game winners, are they? They're not. They're not ones where you go, we've got to, we've got to be worry about him scoring every week because Suchek's a threat from set pieces and he, he times his runs well into the box, but at international level. He's, he's more of a defensive midfielder. He's more of a guy who will worry about what you're doing in front of him and try and stop you rather than go and, you know, influence the game himself. So 
it's it's one of them the 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 sort of all solid players and and there's no real spectacular player if you look at years gone by they had you know Thomas Rzitski, um before that Pavel Nedved and Karol Pavorski these were like players who you yeah. you think Christ we've got to stop them getting the ball and I don't think they have any of that now they've got they're talking about um, is it Hlozek off the bench who's, who's come off the bench a few times and he's meant to be this next bright hope but he's coming on for half an hour twenty minutes at the end and. If if he was that good, I think he's just a little bit young yet, so they're, they're sort of easing him in a little bit. And it's like you need players like that in a knockout competition because you can't just try and soak up the Dutch and then hit them, hit them on the counter attack or hit them from a set piece or something like that. And I think that's going to be their best chance. And I think for that reason, in the in in open play, they should get um, hurt by by Holland pretty comfortably. So. I'm looking at them and going, I just don't see where they're going to win the game. The goalkeeper's not going to come, you know, to the halfway line when Scotland are on the edge of the box like like David Marshall did and, and open himself up for the lob. It's going to be, you're going to have to be better than that to, to try and do something. And to be honest, I, I just can't really see him doing it. Um, I reckon, I know what you're both going to say on this, but for the, for the purposes of the tape, I'm going to go back to you. Leon, Netherlands, Czech Republic, who's into the last eight? Netherlands. 100%. 100%. 100%. Okay, so that puts them through to the game in Baku. Marley, would you agree? Yeah, I'd agree. Uh, the only the only time I would ever not agree is if Holland were a little bit more stuttery in the group stage, if they got five or seven points. Um, but they've came through all them tests pretty comfortably, scored a load of goals, and I just can't see anything other than uh, the orange, orange boys winning. Fair enough. Uh, obviously, split decision between you on Wales and Denmark, so we can't give a football social daily prediction on who's going to be playing each other in that game, but it's more than likely going to be the Netherlands plus one. The other big game on Sunday night, Leon, Belgium against Portugal. This is what the knockout stages are all about. We've talked about the other games, and generally there's one strong team and one weak team. This is the business. FIFA's world number one ranked side, Belgium, up against defending champions, Portugal. Belgium, one of them teams that's come through the group stages completely unscathed, three wins from three. But as for Portugal, it's not looked fantastic. They got through as a best third place side, beat Hungary, but then disappointing defeat to Germany and a worrying draw against France because the big takeaway from me in that game was if it had gone on for another 10 or another 15 minutes, I think France would have battered them. What do you make of Portugal going into this game? Yeah, look, I mean, I kind of agree there in terms of the French, but I mean, the French would would batter most sides. Um, in fairness, when they're on, they are really on. Um, Pogba had a razor. Um, or sorry, he had a razor beam. Um, should the other night, in terms of some of the balls that he was able to just clip over a back four for a runner. I mean, he did it at least three or four times. And Portugal, however. What the one thing I will say about them is they still possess quite a talented squad. I was I was glad to see the performance of Sanchez the other night. I thought he was actually exceptional. Like this is a guy uh, who didn't have the best of times at Swansea. Um, he's had to kind of rebuild his career with Lille. Um, he's still quite a young man. I think he's twenty three or twenty four years of age. But he put in a real, real shift um, against the French. I was kind of worried that we didn't see a lot of Diogo Yota. They didn't seem to be able to find a way of getting him into the game. 
most of the damage actually that Portugal caused the French was down the Portuguese right-hand side. I thought Semedo and Bernardo Silva worked extremely well against the French. But they're coming up against Belgium now, as you rightly said, they breezed through their group. But there's two ways of looking at that. Do you say now that they're coming up against a battle-hardened Portuguese side? Or do you say that Belgium are really fresh? They're ready for this last 16 encounter. I think by the time this kicks off um, on Sunday night, Portugal will have obviously played on Wednesday. Belgium will have had that little bit of extra preparation. But I think when you look at Belgium, you've got obviously Lukaku, you've got Kevin De Bruyne, you've got Eden, Eden Hazard. But Portugal have also got their own match winners. The one thing I would be a little bit worried if I was a Portuguese fan is Bruno Fernandes came off the bench and in my opinion, it was definitely a free kick. I don't really remember, was it inside or outside the box? But I think the Portuguese manager has decided Fernandes is going to be on the bench. Yeah. And I think that's probably a good thing at the moment. Um, Fernandes to me looked as if he'd lost his head a little bit. He actually, one time when he came on, it was close to the touchline, he fell over himself looking for a free kick and the French just went away with the ball and he didn't even chase back. So maybe he was annoyed that he was dropped, but he hadn't done much in the first two group games to suggest he deserved to keep his place. And I just feel this could be the end of the road for Portugal. I think Belgium will have enough I think this is going to be an open game of football in terms of we've seen Portugal concede plenty of goals. They conceded four against Germany. They conceded two against France. It could have been more. Belgium like to attack. They like to score goals. This could be a game for all football fans to sit back, relax and enjoy. I, I do think both of them will be able to score, but I do think Belgium will get through. As um, Leon says, Marley, there is this question mark over Bruno Fernandes and from a Premier League point of view you know you speak to United fans and, and he walks on water as, as far as they're concerned but for Portugal he's not an automatic pick he's he's not started every game for them and there does seem to be a little bit of a shuffling around in the midfield area for Fernando Santos to, to balance all this talent that he's got and Bruno Fernandes as, as Leon said there was the controversy that he almost gave a penalty away against France which would have lost them the game and, and maybe cost them their, their place in the last 16 the last thing that Portugal need is any potential weakness any potential crack in the in the face because they know that the way that they did it in 2016 was everybody pulling in the same direction they do have more talent through the team this time round but there still needs to be that unifying force anytime Ronaldo speaks or you see him doing his his post-match speeches to the players in, in the huddle is all about this togetherness is there the possibility that there is a few little cracks in this team because they have more star quality than five years ago. Yeah, probably. Um, it's probably a, a good point if you look at how you know you look through their twenty-six man squad, and it's 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 embarrassing, isn't it? It's they've got you know two or three quality players for every position in goal. You know, Patricio's very very good goalkeeper, and the backup uh, is the the fella at uh, Leon. I think Anthony Lopez. He's yeah. he's great. You've got the the forward lines insane. I don't know how much how much has Jao Felix played this tournament. I've not seen too much of him, and Very you know, little. I know it's like if he can't get into the squad because you know, well, the the team because you've got Ronaldo up there and you've got Jota up there and Andre Silva and 
uh, Rafael Guerrero on the left and Renato Sanchez, as we mentioned. You've got two holding midfielders, Pereira and Polina, and then all of a sudden you're looking at how Bruno Fernandes doesn't get in the in the starting eleven, and we see him every week, you know, bossing it for Man United and being the main man. It is one of the things international football is strange because you're bringing together so many different styles and so many different players of different standings from different leagues and everything, and you've got to stitch them together. And sometimes it's kind of easier when the the individual parts don't add up to something massive. You see it with Wales. You know, Wales got to the um, was it the quarterfinals or the semi-finals in in Euro 2016, and it was because of of team spirit, and that's the most important thing. Um, you can have in, in football, I think, because you look at who who won that tournament. Portugal won that tournament, and they didn't have anywhere near as good a squad of the, as they've got now. Now they've got the world class players in almost similar to to um, like England and, and Spain. And you're thinking, okay, well, they're struggling because they can't get the best eleven on the pitch because they've got that many options that they don't know where they can balance that team spirit and star quality it's it's really hard to do um but portugal you know they are i don't know whether they're battle hardened because of their group or weak because of the same problem the same the group as well so i don't know whether they're going to be better or worse for coming through that group um because i was looking i'm looking at the, the table now if portugal go and win this tournament their run of fixtures will be hungary Germany, France, Belgium, probably Italy, then probably France again, and then either England or Germany in the final. Like, if they win that tournament, you might as well just quit international football because they've won it, they've completed it. Because that is a... You talk about a murderer's row. I mean, Christ almighty. We see how well Hungary played in in their group. I think Hungary would have got through five of the other groups, probably, in second place. Because they were, you know, even from then they were... That that run of fixtures is insane. What Portugal have had, so I'm looking at at, at them against Belgium and thinking it's. I don't know. I don't know whether they've got, you know, whether they're they're sort of like a journeyman boxer or somebody that's on the ropes, having been given a, a fair few digs in the chin and just hanging on with the last <laughs> the last sort of you know the, the last, last little embers that they've got. Yeah. So I don't know. It's it's a strange one, but Belgium, on the other hand. Like Anthony Joshua, who went through these first twenty-five without getting punched, so Belgium have came through that group pretty unscathed. Had one bad forty-five minutes against Denmark, and then overcame it by putting De Bruyne and Hazard on from the second half. And then, you know, it's it's a complete opposite for them. So it'd be an interesting game, but I, I to if I had to pick one, I'd, I'd probably go for Belgium. Um, before we absolutely nail our colours to the mask and, and deliver a bit of a knockout punch, Leon, one of the big subplots in this game is the race for the Golden Boots. Inter Milan star Romelu Lukaku was the heavy favourite going into the tournament. 23 league goals in Serie A as Antonio Conte's side won the league. But Ronaldo, as he always does, has come to the fore for Portugal in the tournament. He's now the front runner. Five goals compared to three for Lukaku. He's matched... Ali Dai's record for uh, 109 international goals. Mr. Dai has reached out and uh, congratulated Mr. Ronaldo. Um, probably the first conversation they've ever had. But given the way that you are tipping for Belgium and Mali's probably tipping for Belgium, this is the end of the road for Ronaldo in this tournament. If he scores, he breaks that record and, and you know increases his numbers for this tournament. But Lukaku then has a chance to overtake him in the rounds to come. Where do you assess the golden golden boot picture as it is? 
Well, I hope Lukaku does because I've backed him to be top scorer and Italy to win the competition at 90 to 1. <laughs> so I'm hoping that he can, uh, I'm hoping Belgium can get over the line. <laughs> However, I'm looking at Ronaldo and look, I mean, there's, there's just not enough superlatives you can say about this man because what is he now, 36? And he was very unlucky not to score with a header as well against France. He probably just got up that little bit too early. But when you see a man like him step up to take a penalty, I just never believe he's going to miss. Yeah. And it's just that confidence. The bigger the pressure, the bigger the game, the bigger the stage. Come at the hour, come at the man. And I think, unfortunately, for people who have backed Lukaku or who wanted him to be top scorer, if Ronaldo gets one in this game, six normally in these big tournaments is enough to win it or at least get a share of it. Now, if Lukaku scores, yes, he'll move on to four and you're hoping that Belgium will at least have one more game. But Ronaldo's odds on favourite to win it, it's five to one Lukaku and it's 12 to one the rest. So I think looking at it, if I was looking at maybe an, an outsider and someone who I think will get to the semi-final is Wijnaldum. Wijnaldum's already got three goals. They play the Czechs, and if they get through that, they're either going to play Wales or Denmark. Now, if you're looking at someone who just might upset uh, the top two in the market, uh, you can play each way, first two places. I just think someone like Genie Wijnaldum, he's sitting on three, he could be a bit of value. But I do feel if Ronaldo scores one in this last 16 game, I think he's going to at least get a share of top scorer with six goals. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, Leon has sold you where he's putting his money in the knockout stages. But if you're looking on something for England, Boyle Sports are offering a £10 no-lose bet on every single England game at the European Championships. Simply put, stick a tenner on any market for England during the competition. And if that bet loses, you get your stake back as a free bet straight into your account. All the info is available online. Just go to boilsports.com or check out the Boyle Sports app. As usual, T's and C's apply. 18 plus only. Bet responsibly. And please visit begambleaware.org for some advice. Marley, Leon's given a few points there for Ronaldo and, and the potential that he can do what he always does and just bang in a penalty or bang in a vital goal. Has that tipped you either way or are you sticking with Belgium? I'm just I'm just hoping it's a mint game to be honest, um, but I am I'm, if I have to pick someone I think I'd, I'd probably go for Belgium. I just think they're, they're slightly stronger over the uh, in terms of the team spirit as we were talking about before. I think they're all pulling in the same direction. They're trying to do something that they haven't done before. Belgium have never won anything at international level, any major tournament I should say. Um, Portugal have I feel like they've done they've achieved what they what they've achieved before you know what I mean it's not as they're not as hungry to win it so I think Belgium will will just about edge it and uh, Leon would you stick with Belgium to face Italy in the last eight in Munich yeah just just I think it'll be by the odd goal um, probably a correct scoreline maybe 2-1 um, but I just think Belgium will get over the line but it's not going to be easy because Portugal uh, to their credit um, when they went behind against France they came back again and they are a real tough side and they don't go down without a fight but I just think this Belgium side this is their chance this is the tournament that they will want to win um, because I think this group of players come the next World Cup they won't be as good 
a little bit like Croatia, in my opinion, are still not as good as they were back in 2018. So just Belgium for me. Yeah, I think I'm gonna. Yeah, I think I'm gonna have to agree. Uh, to be honest, I just want Belgium to stay in for the ridiculous trivia of Roberto Martinez potentially being the only manager <laughs> to win a major international tournament and win a major trophy with Wigan, as he obviously memorably did back in the FA Cup. Right, we're gonna call it there for part two. After the break, we're jumping back to the Premier League and chatting about some of the latest transfer rumours doing the rounds. Some nonsense, but some potential truths. We're gonna be getting into all of that in just a few seconds. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Euro 2020 podcast. We previewed this weekend's last 16 games and now we're going to take a quick break from the international scene and look at the Premier League. Obviously no games until the start of August, so we have to make do with just trawling through the transfer gossip columns. And that's exactly what we've done this morning. Leon, I'm going to go to you first. The Big story right at the top of the gossip pages is Manchester City's interest in Aston Villa captain Jack Grealish. Grealish has been box office news for England at Euro 2020, mainly based on the fact that he hasn't played as much as England fans would like to see him. Pep Guardiola has been fairly open that he's a bit of a fan of him. But according to reports from The Athletic this morning, they're prepared to pay £100 million to bring him to the Etihad. Now, to put that into context... City have got a team, a squad full of world-class individuals. They've never paid more than £65 million for somebody, and that was Rodri from Atletico Madrid. Given the fact that there's going to be this huge gap between that and a potential fee for Grealish, can you see a move like this coming off? Um, nothing's impossible, and certainly when it's Manchester City, money is irrelevant, and it doesn't make any difference whatsoever. So... If Pep Guardiola wants him and that's the fee that they're going to have to pay for him, I don't think it's out of reach. Um, looking at Grealish, you know I'm a huge fan of his. Uh, I think he's got absolutely everything. Um, I mean, the amount of times he gets felled and just gets back up, he's just... He is a joy to watch. And in terms of what he does on a football field, for any young kid out there, like who watches football, watch how he doesn't really roll around an awful lot. He, he takes a lot of abuse and he just gets on with it. Um, he's at the right age. He's 25. He's not 26, I think, until September. So, But the one thing I would say about Grealish, however, is Man City have got an awful lot of similar types of players. Now, if they do sign Grealish, players will be sold on. There's already been rumblings about Mares. Uh, Bernardo Silva you're definitely going to be keeping the likes of Phil Foden and Kevin De Bruyne Raheem Sterling um, will he stay or will he go if City go out and spend 100 million on Grealish they're probably going to sell at least two of those names that I've mentioned um, he would be a huge asset to Man City there's no doubt about that I mean any club who gets Jack Grealish you just have to look at what Jack Grealish did when Villa stayed in the Premier League two seasons ago he was the reason. And there's no other reason bar Jack Grealish kept that club in the Premier League. When he was playing at the start of last season, just gone, Villa were going along really, really nicely. When he got injured, the wheels came off a little bit. So he's that good. And sometimes when you say about players, oh yeah, they're a big fish in a small pond, I think Jack Grealish would be a big fish in any pond he goes to. 
He just possesses that much natural ability. But what he also has that I love about him is he's such a worker. He always puts in the yardage in every single game he plays. So whoever gets him, he will be a huge asset. And if Man City really want him, if we are to believe that Pep wants him, the price tag will become also irrelevant. They'll pay whatever Aston Villa want. Uh, from possibly 100 million being spent on Grealish to a free transfer, but a pretty high-profile one, Marley. Sergio Ramos has obviously ended his time at Real Madrid. 16 seasons of being Mr. Real Madrid. Five La Liga titles, four Champions Leagues. There's been a bit of a standoff with Madrid. He, he claimed that he wanted two years. They only offered one, backwards and forwards, and long story short, he's left. According to Goal.com, PSG are the first ones to reach out for him and make him a contract offer on a two-year deal, which he wants. But there is interest from the Premier League. Manchester United and Chelsea have both been linked with him. Partly for kind of novelty and just to wind up certain people, I would love to see him in the Premier League. Yes, he is, you know, the wrong side of 30, but he's an incredible centre-back. And I'd just love to see how it would work in the Premier League. Do you think there's a possibility or do you just think the money of PSG will will win the day? Yeah, I, I can only see him going to PSG um, there's certain players that when they come available you can always you can only see them going to PSG because they're the only ones that can financially match them same with Ronaldo if Ronaldo decides to leave Juventus I could see him only going to PSG because they're the only ones who could realistically afford him um, but Ramos I mean he would be great in the Premier League I think even though he's 35 you're looking at him going you, you don't he doesn't look 35 he doesn't look like he's slowing down he looks, you know, you see him, you know, he, he loves taking his shirt off, doesn't he, covered in them tattoos, and he's, he's there's not an inch of, of fat on him, there's not an ounce of fat on him at all. Um, there's no real drop-off in his game, he's still as good as he was five, ten years ago, uh, probably better in terms of his experience and stuff, so, you know, he's won absolutely everything, so whoever's, whoever's getting him and can take advantage of this game of chicken that him and Real Madrid have been playing for the last year or so, um, are going to get a hell of a player in. It's only, it's only a matter of time before, you know, after signing those types of players at PSG win the Champions League and that's what they're all about and then then maybe you'll see them drop off slightly in terms of their spending but, I mean, that's that's a few years down the line yet and if they can get Ramos on a two-year deal, I think that's great business because the French league isn't as competitive as the Spanish. It's probably a nice if he is slowing down at all, which I don't think he is. I think he'll 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 enjoy it. He'll still be a great defender, sticking alongside Marquinhos at centre back, and you're looking at a defence which rivals any in the in the world really. Um, so yeah, I can only see him going to PSG, but it would have been fun to see him come uh, come and uh, try his little um, dirty tactics, slightly let's say gamesmanship in the uh, in the Premier League, because that would have been uh, would have been a laugh. Yeah, Chris Wood against Ramos. That's that's what we'd be missing out on. Um, but on the other side of the coin, that's why he's going to PSG, mate. He's scared, isn't he? He don't <laughs> yeah, he don't like yeah. that big Kiwi coming at him. Yeah, oh, I I think Ramos is the perfect example that would just throw in the bin all this cold, wet Tuesday night in Stoke. I think he'd be asking for more rain. He'd be bringing the shower out onto the pitch with him. Um, but if he goes to Paris, he can he can battle Neymar for the most tattooed man in 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 the in the French capital. <laughs> Another Aston Villa midfielder potentially on his way out, Leon, is John McGinn, and he's being linked with your club, Liverpool. Gino Wijnaldum, who we touched on with the Netherlands before, has left and, and joined PSG, possibly to be joined by Sergio Ramos in the next couple of weeks. 
John McGinn has impressed for, for Aston Villa since they've been promoted. Lots of energy. He can put his foot in. He gets around the pitch and he can get the odd goal. But as you mentioned, Wijnaldum holds a, a bit of a place in, in Liverpool fans' hearts and, and Newcastle fans as well. He's not going to be easy to replace on the pitch or his wider influence within the squad. Is John McGinn a start? Have you seen enough that he's the type of player Jurgen Klopp would like to get his hands on and, and remould and model into someone that can play in the Champions League? Well, you see, this is what absolutely infuriates me about this transfer policy because the rumoured asking price is between 45 and 50 million quid for wow. John McGinn. Now, John McGinn is a very very good player however if you're now willing to go out and and which i still don't believe jorgen klopp is by the way i i i just any transfer business that jorgen klopp has done would not suggest to me that he's going to buy john mcguin john mcginn excuse me if they're talking about that type of money it's just not going to happen if however it does happen i will be absolutely baffled that we've let someone like one album now, you're talking about, in my opinion, Gini Wijnaldum is world-class. And I don't use that lightly, but he is world-class. John McGinn is not, in my opinion. And if you've let Wijnaldum go because of a haggling over the new deal that he wanted, he wanted a pay increase, which he totally merited, which he totally deserved, it just doesn't smack to me of how Liverpool's transfer policy has worked over the last few years Michael Edwards has been nothing short of a genius in terms of some of the deals and the structure of the deals that he's actually pulled off for Liverpool Football Club. So it's rumours. The transfer fee will tell me that the rumours are false because if that's the money that you're talking about to get John McGinn from Villa to Liverpool, I just don't see Liverpool getting involved in a transfer of that nature. You look at their business, you look at how they've done it, since Jurgen Klopp has come in, a lot of release clauses have been triggered. Players have been brought in for the right type of money on the right type of wages. And when they brought in Thiago, it was low transfer fee because he was getting big money. Everything seems to kind of balance itself out. The one kind of big mistake that they've made, and I'm sure every single, not only Liverpool fan, I think every football fan would agree, letting Wijnaldum go for free is a big, big mistake. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think, as you say, John McGinn has been impressive in, in fits and starts for Aston Villa, but Johnny Fagini just doesn't seem to make much sense. And uh, Jurgen Klopp's no mug in these situations, so I think that's one to watch, but maybe one to throw in the gossip bin. Leon, Marley, thanks so much for your time. Cheers, Fergal. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Great stuff. And that's it for the Football Social Daily podcast. Don't forget, we are here right the way through Euro 2020. So if you're a fan of the podcast or you're a brand new listener, just click subscribe and you can get a brand new episode every single day. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll see you again very, very soon on the Football Social Daily. Step into the world of power, loyalty and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.